According to the Forbes Agency Council, search marketing is going to change in a big way with reports that Gen Zers use TikTok more than Google for their searches. Well, the team at Social Media Examiner shared their 2023 predictions, of course, and short-form videos lead the way from Reels to YouTube Shorts and, yes, even on LinkedIn. Podcast listening will also continue to grow. On BBC Sounds, there were a record 57.7 million plays of all content during the holidays. Newscast was the most listened to podcast, followed by Your Dead to Me, Sliced Bread and Uncanny. According to MarTech.org, online networking will get better and more immersive thanks to 5G rollout, in particular, powering lifelike of avatars, incredible metaverse experiences and 360 real-life video meetings. Customers continue to be in charge of your marketing with privacy and peace of mind, advertising with a purpose, personalization and a more visual and interactive experience, top of their priorities, according to SearchEngineLand.com. Well, listen to this. AI and machine learning will dominate and move faster within sales and customer service rather than marketing, from auto-translation to automated FAQs and virtual assistants, according to Google. Research from the Content Marketing Institute suggests using low-cost, high-impact interactive will become key to marketing strategies. For example, interactive infographics, quizzes, calculators, assessments, interactive maps, or interactive videos. And finally, brands that have remained loyal to TV advertising will start experimenting with streaming platforms from lower-tier membership on Disney Plus or Netflix to free ad-supported TV services from Samsung and Roku. Wow. Well, some big predictions for 2023, but then again, maybe, you know, not unsurprising in many respects. Not at all. So I'll begin with podcast and BBC Sounds as, um, I mean, do I qualify Roger as an expat, uh, as a French national who spent most of his life in the UK coming back to France? What am I to you? Am I an expat or am I coming home? Well, that's a very good question. I mean, uh, I mean, ever since I've known you, Pascal, you've lived in the UK. So to me, you've now left the UK and become an expat. But uh, I've always had a problem with the term expat. Actually, it's just a, just a completely bizarre term. <laughs> yeah, well, expatriate. You know, it means expatriate. like you're being excommunicated somehow yeah. from uh, your local church. But we listen to BBC Sounds daily with my wife, Denise, and I do listen to newscast um, a lot. It's a wonderful kind of half hour chit chat between journalists. It's almost like, you know, they finish, finished uh, the day's work and they're being caught in a corridor to quickly um, share, you know, the, the news of the day. I do also listen to the comedy, You're Dead to Me, which I think is wonderful. I've not listened to Sliced Bread and Uncanny, but yeah, this idea of predictions of more and more people listening to podcasts is something that, to your point, is a safe prediction, isn't it? Ah, I mean, it's a safe prediction, as is also safe to say that Reels and YouTube Shorts and TikTok and short-form video is going to be a big thing. I mean, you don't really need to be a genius, nor do you need to have a crystal ball to make that sort of prediction, um, do you, really? <laughs> Let's face it. No, absolutely. I think what, what, what we're talking about is the... Um, almost you know the sheer volume of adoption compared to you know the, the kind of things the one that i wanted to challenge because i've seen it happen before is the very first one you read roger about search marketing and this idea of gen z using tiktok more than google for their searches and and, and i think there's an element here of misrepresentation of the behavior and and the stats so what is happening is 
TikTok is used primarily by Gen Zers, as uh, the article says, and nobody likes to be put into a, a, a box, you know. So, so they are on TikTok a lot to be entertained. As a result to which advertisers use TikTok, as a result to which they are discovering your services for the first time, but they don't use TikTok to search. I mean, you and I have been pressure testing TikTok, and you could argue that such function is non-existent or is very, very poor. And this is where, you know, all of us marketers, we have to use some element of be quite pragmatic, being actually even, even curious about what's behind the attention-grabbing headlines. And to me, that's almost like a false prediction. It's like saying somebody, those who eat chocolate and love chocolate will eat more chocolate soon. And it's a bit, a bit daft, really. Yeah, and... There's a little bit, it's a bit worrying for somebody to suggest that people would go onto TikTok to learn something. Whereas, I mean, let's face it, whatever you might say about Google, on the whole, if you search for something, all their algorithms and filtering processes and checking processes mean that the answer that you get is very likely to be true or close to the truth. Whereas, you know, I, I've I've searched for things on TikTok just to test it out. And as you know, I work a bit in the financial services industry. And you can search, give me investment advice. And yes, indeed, you can find some guy in Illinois or some bloke in um, the Czech Republic or some girl in Australia who will be giving investment advice. But on the whole, that investment advice could be completely wrong. That particular individual is not registered to give financial advice under any regime anywhere in the world and is probably talking complete bullshit and has just done this to get clicks now if you were to google the same question you would probably get an answer that was very close to the truth or at least it would put you in touch with a registered financial advisor regulated in the uk by the financial services authority or whichever country it might be and I just worry that people, if they did switch search away from Google to, towards something like TikTok, that we actually are depriving people of knowledge rather than giving them knowledge because they're going to be getting stuff that just genuinely isn't the right answer or isn't true. And to your point, in Google and many other search engines, do you have you know a fair fair way to validate information? You know that, that well, they look at authority, they look at you know obviously the source of the information. So on. it's imperfect, but it goes some ways to at least suggest you know this has been going through a number of steps before it's presented to you. Not to mention the internet itself voting for its quality. I wanted to get your reaction on. It's fascinating. So you and I have spend a lot of time discussing AI machine learning mm -hmm. and automation in the world of marketing. We had our own test of ChatGPT, um, the platform is still making the headlines right now. But interestingly, it would seem as though this idea of, you know, creating information and responding via uh, uh, a machine is going to be used primarily in sales and customer service more than marketing, suggesting that creativity is still something that the machines can't quite do. Yeah, I think that's probably fair. I mean, you know, we did, as you say, we tried out ChatGPT. And funnily enough, over the Christmas period, I've watched a few YouTube videos about people playing around with ChatGTP. And one of the areas it does seem to work pretty well is just answering mundane questions. Um, and yeah, that, that, you know, you don't need to be a major creative force to answer a mundane question. 
I, you could argue that you might want to make the, the style in which you answer that question a little bit more lively or chatty or whatever it is, depending upon your audience. But I, I still don't believe that chat GTP or whatever comes next or any iteration of these AI things will take, will be able to totally replicate the creativity of the human mind. And yes, we might start using these things to give us prompts, to give us ideas, to give us outlines of say an article or a script, but that will be pretty bland and pretty mediocre. And we still need a human mind to put our own flavors and our own stories and our own personality over the top of that. And I think that the people who don't, people who just take the bland and the mediocre from these AI platforms, we're just not going to stand out. They will just become a mass of mediocrity. Whereas the people that do use AI to give them the prompts, but then build on that with their own personalities, those are the people who are going to continue to shine and continue to stand out. Yeah, and no, I think you're right. You know, the, the technology is meant to support us, not to replace us. But I would say with regard to oh, you know, that lower tier customer service or even sales activity where someone goes, well, you know, we've had the example of uh, the chatbot, you know, on social media and, and more. There's going to be a lot of that going on. Very quickly then to wrap up on this uh, 2023 prediction and uh, in the news, the metaverse is going to become incredible according to the experts, Roger. <laughs> Uh, no, 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 no. One of my predictions for 2023 is that by the end of 2023, we won't all be in the metaverse. There is still so much BS talked about the metaverse. And and yes, uh, you know, again, the other day I saw this um, news report from some company in Japan that's come up with a slightly different shape of goggle that you can put on and and there's even one that goes over your mouth as well to um to give a better sound quality so that people can go into these 360 degree meetings and i'm just thinking no they don't want that people mm. don't want that you know a lot of people now are having zoom meetings and are giving each other permission to turn off the video so that it's more like what we used to call a phone call, you know, without the video, because people don't want to be scrutinized all the time. I, I, I just think that the problem with the metaverse still is there are a lot of people out there creating solutions to problems that have they don't that don't exist. They haven't done the research. They haven't identified a customer issue that needs solving with a 3D environment. And therefore, these things will fail until we start going back to the basic principles of marketing and that is find out what the customer need is and build a solution to that customer need rather than thinking here's some fab technology that we desperately want to get out there so let's just do it and see what happens now and for me the, the metaverse and all the others you know the close cousins to that they're going to have an amazing impact in other walks of life i'm thinking sciences i'm thinking potentially education and so on but in terms of, of business what I, what I believe is the case, because we and I reviewed that recently, one of the um, episode of Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast, it's going to be short, sharp, um, incredible experiences, but you'll be in the metaverse for the, to the tune of minutes. Mm. That's what's going to happen. Mm. It'll be an event of sort, and then you, you'll come out again and think, and the brand will get the recognition. Think of it as, you know, like you and I, back in our days of starting marketing, a PR stunt in the streets of London or Edinburgh. That's going to be the equivalent. It was short, sharp. It made people stop. Um, people on the bus look, took pictures, put it on social media. But they didn't spend, you know, the entire day executing the PR stunt. And I think that's where perhaps the metaverse in the, from the brand positioning point of view is going to find its, its, its rhythm, but not to invite someone to spend 
the duration, for example, of a virtual conference um, in the metaverse, apart from you know very dedicated people. And actually, just closing on that, the, the individual that I saw doing a, um, a test of being in the metaverse was complaining that at the end of each day, they had massive red marks around his forehead <laughs> and his eyes because of the goggle that he had to wear, you know, so that's not going to work so much. Anyway, thanks very much. And I loved um, hearing your reaction. For you viewers and listeners, you've kind of heard um, Roger and I do the list of predictions. Have you got some extra ones you want to share? Please let us know. And what would you say is your favorite from the list that you've heard a moment ago? And we begin with a report that online sales rose by almost one-fifth, 18% year-on-year on 16 January, also known as Blue Monday, which is often referred to as the most depressing day of the year, according to an old PR stunt by a travel company. Music streaming platform Spotify has become the latest tech business to confirm it will be laying off staff after its CEO and co-founder Daniel Ek admitted to expanding too quickly. Around 600 jobs will be affected as part of the decision, some 6% of the overall workforce. Okay, well, the UK's list of affluent families have seen their spare cash fall by £39 per month, a 8.3% drop as a result of the rising food inflation, inc including middle-income homes, are 40% worse off, Roger, each month, a 3.7% decline on the discretionary spend. And Tesco's chair is facing a backlash after accusing food companies of using inflation as an excuse to bump up prices further than necessary. John Allen told the BBC on Sunday it was entirely possible food producers were taking advantage of the poorest in society. Twitter is introducing a paid subscription more expensive than Twitter Blue. Elon Musk has tweeted, of course, that Twitter will be introducing a higher price subscription that will have zero adverts. UK marketing budgets continue to grow in the last three months of 2022, despite high levels of pessimism as marketers faced a recessionary 2023. That's from the latest IPA Bellwether report. A modest net balance of 2.2% of firms increased their total marketing spend in the fourth quarter of 2022. Now, McDonald's' latest campaign, Fancy a McDonald's, hashtag Raise Your Arches, achieved an exceptional brand recognition score of 98, according to data from effectiveness firm System One. Now, the ad follows a group of office workers using a knowing raised eyebrow signal to communicate an invitation to get McDonald's food without saying a word, nor showing the food or the restaurants. And finally, Netflix outperforms subscriber expectations as CEO announces departure. Netflix added more than 7 million subscribers in its fourth quarter as its content slate outperformed expectations in the last months of 2022. Now, Pascal, have you seen this McDonald's advert? I have. I have indeed, yes. Now, I have a love-hate relationship with TV ads, as you mm. know. So many of them are incredibly annoying. Um, in fact, a lot of our adverts are incredibly annoying. At the moment, every time I watch a YouTube video, I get this advert for life insurance coming on board. And, and it really annoys me because some of the stuff that they're saying in the advert is actually untrue. And I know it to be untrue. And I every time it comes up, which is like every time I watch a YouTube video, I feel I'm, I need to complain about this. But this McDonald's advert is absolutely brilliant. I really, really like it. And, you know, if somebody was to said to me, what's your favorite TV ad? I, I, I tend to go back to the 1980s, like the Smash mm. Martians or, or Shake and Vac, you know, do the shake end back and put your freshness back. But this advert, for some reason, just absolutely hits the spot for me. Um, 
as it, as you as you said when you read it out, there's no real mention. Actually, there's no mention at all of McDonald's. I think they use the logo right at the very end, and somebody That's might right, yeah. mm-hmm. somebody might actually draw the logo on a post-it note. But the rest of it is just a load of office workers who look as if, to be perfectly honest, <laughs> like they're pretty bored with their la- with their life, and somebody sort of just raises their eyebrows. Now the it, it's synchronized to the beat of this music and the music sort of goes bam bam like this and every time the music goes bam bam their their eyebrows go up up like that so it's bam bam and of course the eyebrows mimic the shape of of the mcdonald's logo and one by one this whole office sort of does their eyebrow rousing thing and before the end of the advert they're all piling out the door obviously on their way to mcdonald's and and there's something quite joyous about it. I, don't, I mean, I hate McDonald's food. I, I, I've never been for a long, long time because it's just gr- gruesome to eat. But I, this advert absolutely hits the spot for me. And, and there's some beautiful flourishes in it as well, Pascal. There's one bit where they pass by a meeting room. There's a lady doing a presentation. And the first shot shows her sort of with the with a flip chart behind her. On the flip chart behind her are the words, depressed and despondent and fed up bored and then somebody does the eyebrow thing and then the next thing they cut to her again but the flip chart behind her is elated super full of fun and all of this and 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 i think it's just an absolute work of genius now you're going to tell me you hate it I've hated most adverts t- until that one. So w- what I used to hate about McDonald's adverts, I mean, to begin with, uh, I don't particularly care for their food, but also the, this, the experience. So um, a, f- a few months ago, we had a power cut here, so we couldn't cook. And we were kind of stuck, and we didn't know where to go to eat. And eventually, because it was so late, w- the only option, because they opened late, was to go to McDonald's. And, and the whole experience was awful. You, know, you have to... You can't order at the counter. You have to use those kind of ghastly touchscreen full of someone else's kind of dribbles on it. And yeah. and then you have to wait and they call a number and then they slap the, the tray on your plate and it's warm because it's taking too long to get served and so on. So the whole thing is awful to me. I've also really disliked the whole premise because this campaign, um, Defensive McDonald's, that's a term, yeah, Fancy McDonald's, has been going on for a few years where they were saying, you know, we're going to get families get together. We've got friends going to be together. We are the only, you know, option you have at a weekend and holidays and so on. <laughs> I used to absolutely hate those statements, but this one, back to actually the very first news item that I read about this idea of January being a tough month, you know, with moods and the news being so depressing around the world and so on. I think the, way, the fact that they went for something that was comedic was really, really good fun. I struggled, to be honest with you, to be happy as a purist of them using the oh yeah from Yellow music from Ferris uh, <laughs> Bueller's Day Out, but you know, I'll, I'll forgive that. Um, but in terms of the, the, the concert, the storytelling and the build-up and so on, and this idea of a movement of, you know, find a way to reclaim joyous moments and yeah, I'll have to turn a blind eye to the find that a burger can do that for you. I think in terms of the execution, the, the tapping to the mood of the moment, but also moving away from the claims of, you know, we are here to get your family to, to be together or to kind of find each other again or friends. I, I think that's a very, very smart move indeed. I'm still not going to go to to eat a burger, but I think from uh, from the point of view of an advert that's going to be entertaining and not too disruptive in a way, almost like when you go on YouTube and I've complained about too many adverts, we'll talk about Twitter, no doubt. I think that, um, yeah, w- well done. Well done. No, it's good. And, and 
the rest of the news items today, I sort of noticed a trend as I was copying and mm. pasting them. On the one hand, you've got, we're in a pretty pickle at the moment with the cost of living crisis across the world. You know, people are struggling. And I think that's reflected in what the news is saying is that some some areas were seeing sales reducing. But it's also quite interesting that marketing budgets seem to be continuing to grow. Um, and the Bellwether um, you know, report that was highlighted there is saying that some firms are increasing their marketing spend. And I feel quite buoyant about this because it's one of the things that we've often said on the show that in a recession, you know, when everybody's cutting budgets, wouldn't it make sense to be the one that doesn't and to actually increase your, your uh, marketing budget. And maybe finally that penny has dropped, Pascal. Yeah, because historically, I mean, I was certainly in the receiving end of, you know, being called into the office to be told you have to find ways to reduce your marketing budget after it had been signed off, you know, that kind of things. Or, I mean, was it marketing and training? You know, the two things yeah, that people wanted yeah. to. Um, and, and and I think that clearly, clearly, people are understanding that you know to reduce your communication efforts at a time where people are making decision to buy less, whatever they buy will be born out of you know a carefully considered and informed decision. You've got to be communicating. You've got to be supporting you know the the, the customer throughout their decision making process. Yeah, it's it's good. It's good and. The other thing I wanted to mention was this whole idea of Blue Monday. <laughs> now, it says that online sales rose, rose by over a fifth year on year on the 16th of January, but that's not the news item. What I wanted to focus in on is this whole thing about Blue Monday. Because when you read the, the mainstream media now, Blue Monday is absolutely a thing. You know, everybody, mm. the people posting on LinkedIn, you know, it's Blue Monday today, but don't feel too depressed, you know, blah, 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 blah. People are sp put posting on Twitter, it's Blue Monday today, and we shouldn't be too upset because actually there's a lot of shit going on in the world. But to be perfectly honest, you know, we we should have a positive outlook. But if you trace back, and you said this in the in the news item, Blue Monday was a marketing campaign. It was actually started by sky travel back in about 2020 no 20 2003 i think it was mm. sky travel ran this ad campaign and it was called blue monday and the whole point was to get people just after christmas to book holidays and it's one of those things that's become a thing mm even though it was originally a marketing campaign. So now everybody talks about Blue Monday as if it's genuinely, there's some genuine science behind the fact that the third Monday of January is the worst day of the year for everybody, blah, blah, blah. But it isn't, any, there's no science behind it at all. It was a marketing campaign that everybody's adopted as an actual thing. And to me, that is rightly or wrongly proof that marketing can actually create change it's like you know you will do the hoovering in the house even if you're using a dyson you know i'm gonna go and hoover the house that was an example of a brand name becoming a, a verb wasn't it and blue monday has become a thing and i just think that it's remarkable yeah well i've got some insider information <laughs> for you because as you may recall i started my career in the travel industry mm -hmm. as a young marketing officer now interestingly sky travel essentially um, used a 
bit of an established kind of marketing sales technique that made it uh, both a PR stunt but also backed by science. He actually got a professor from local university to do a formula as to why you know that the third Monday of the, of the year was the most depressing one. And it was all in, in jest. It was all a big joke. But actually, the scientific community got quite upset thinking, yes, how did, dare yeah. you? How dare you? Now, when we used to work in travel, um, we used to plan, obviously, uh, our special offers, our, our marketing campaigns, I used to add, it was way before the internet. So it was um, what we're going to put in the, in the newspapers, on CFAX, uh, and so on and so forth. And the calculation was that people would have had quite an expensive November, December, probably an expensive start of January. So they've been tightening their belts all the way to the moment they get paid at the end of January. So what you would do then is start to push your special offers the third week in January, saying to people, wow, what a terrible month we're all having. Treat yourself, you know, book yourself a holiday now and look forward to going to the sunshine in, in May and June. So we, we, it began this and then little by little, it morphed into something. And what Sky Travel did very cleverly saying, well, it's an industry-wide technique, but I'm going to give it a label. I'm going to start to really give it some substance and I'm going to have fun by asking a scientist to create a formula which was shared. And that thing just went like wildfire. And then other industries start to, um, it's a bit like, um, is it Black Friday, Cyber Monday? You know, yeah, it, yeah, it yeah, morphs yeah. into something very different. So then other industries said, oh, it's the most depressing um, week of the year because people have no money, therefore we need to do something. And it kind of, got carried carried away into into something else but yeah that, that was something that was simply down to audience analysis behavior and thinking well they're going to get paid next week as in the fourth week in january let's begin now to push the special offers so that when they want to buy the holiday because it's you know, cold and it's wet and miserable in, in the uk in particular then they'll choose us and not the others absolutely so everybody who's watching everybody who's listening Blue Monday is an absolute con, a complete and utter con. We've all been had. Here's the thing. Blue Monday isn't a day in January. Blue Monday is an absolutely fantastic single by a group called New Order, and everybody knows ah, it. Yes. It's a do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. That's all you need to know about Blue Monday. And we begin with Boots, who's launched its biggest ever healthcare campaign. Our health is as individual as we are in support of women of all ages. The campaign combines TV, digital display advertising, print, social, in-store and online. Morrison's is executing another round of price cuts in response to the cost of living crisis as the price war continues amongst UK supermarkets. Price reductions of almost a fifth on average will take place across a further 64 products representing an additional investment of 25 million. Costa Coffee has hired former marketer Philip Scaly as its new CEO who will start in April and succeed Jill McDonald, who left the business last summer to return to fast food chain McDonald's. Yeah, Jill McDonald leaves to go back to McDonald's. There's something <laughs> incestuous about that, isn't there? Amazon has decided it wants staff to work from the office the majority of the time, informing employees they are to do so at least three days a week from May the 1st. Why to reduce avoidable food waste to co-op has removed best before dates from over 150 fresh fruits and vegetables products this week. The decision follows a trial on 20 products last year. 
According to impressions survey of a thousand UK-based senior marketers, over two-thirds, 68%, of SMEs plan to increase their overall marketing budget in 2023, with more than half planning to invest more of that budget into brand awareness activity. My data for media agency Spark Foundry suggests that 56% of consumers reported using social media to make a purchase in the three months to the end of December, up from 48%. And finally, in the last year, interest in environmental issues has dropped by almost a fifth, well, 19% actually, amongst UK's Gen Z, which has 16 to 25-year-olds, as the near-constant cycle of negative news causes crisis fatigue. So, Pascal, let's stick with that last piece mm. of news there, this whole issue of crisis fatigue. Do you think, do you feel crisis fatigue i think i do every time you look at the news whether it's online newspapers print newspapers whether you're on a tv news program it's all negative isn't it we've got the obviously the, the horrifying war in ukraine but it's all one crisis after another in fact we use the word crisis so much more now that everything seems like a crisis i mean at the moment in the uk we have got a tomato and pepper crisis because apparently there are no tomatoes and peppers left that could be down to brexit or apparently it could be down to some storms at the in southern um, spain which have destroyed tomato and pepper uh, crops this year do you feel crisis fatigue's real yeah, and, and I think it's to do with the complete imbalance with regard to, to the media, uh, whether it's online, whether it's in print and so on. And that's something that you and I can observe because we, we have the luxury of uh, history. We can look back at 10 years ago, 20 years ago, and 30 years ago, and the way in which the news so desperate, and I mean news, I use the term globally, Roger, I talk about anyone needs, you know, to gather someone's attention. They're so desperate for that attention. They are so ill-equipped actually to even understand what people want to hear about that they're going for shock they're going for headline grabbing they're going for click baiting they turn to chat gpt to do some you know 10 different versions of the same news article and little by little i talk to friends and family and every everybody's removing themselves from tv mm. from newspapers mm. and from social media yeah, I think I think it's right, and 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 quite a lot of the time, it's actually the language that is used, isn't it? The word crisis is so overused now. I remember back to the beginnings of the pandemic when the word unprecedented, everything was unprecedented, wasn't it? <laughs> and, and crisis, and it just mm. it eventually these words worm their way into your head, and they it, it does create that that fatigue. And, and I think you're right. Um, people are turning off. I mean, I've had that conversation with a number of people as well as one of the only ways to feel, you know, mentally secure at the moment is just, just not watch the news because the mm. news is guaranteed to get you feeling really pretty down about everything. So we really need to start looking for positive things out there. Well, that's what we do on this show, yeah, Roger, of course. Absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> so Let's have a look at another um, item that we spoke about there. Again, it's slightly related. You know, we've, we've said to a certain extent some people are turning off social media, but according to this um, Spark Foundry, 56% of consumers are now using social media to guide purchases, um, which is 
up again from from the previous year. Now, I remember years and years and years ago, and I'm going to get this wrong because I've only just thought of it and I haven't had a chance to look it up, but I remember Google coming out with something called, was it something like the zero moment of truth? That's correct, yeah. When Mm -hmm. somebody, oh, I want to buy a new car, I want to go on holiday, I want to buy a new washer, whatever it is, and you go to Google. And that's your zero moment of truth when you start the purchasing decision. You do the Google search for the item you want to purchase. But now it appears that the the zero moment of truth has moved away from Google to a certain extent. And people are diving into TikTok, diving into um, um, Instagram stories or whatever it is and, and, and starting the purchasing journey on social media. Yeah, well, you know, I, th- I think the data probably suggests that's where people spend most of their time, n- not discounting what we just mentioned about a desire to have access to positive news. I mean, when it comes to social media, people really, what they're saying is, I want to hear from my friends and family. I want to hear from my contacts. I want to smile. I want to be entertained. I want to kind of chuckle at someone's kind of, um, you know, post and, and that kind of things. And then, so if, you know, you're the, if you look about the, your time budget is spent on social media, then of course, advertisers and brands are going to be using that to their, to their advantage. When the advert or the message is in tune with the, um, the platform, with the context, so they're using wit, they're using uh, good timing and so on, and they avoid, you know, that, that kind of crisis led uh, messaging. I suspect they're going to be uh, very, very successful. I think what would be interesting is what happens next year. So looking at 2023 data. Um, but yeah, I think that makes a bit sense to me. Moving back to one of the earlier items we discussed, Morrison's is mm. introducing some more price cuts, and we've seen price cuts across UK supermarkets, and, and there is indeed in the UK a price war in the supermarket space at the moment. Now, it's, it, it feels as if that's something that's passed me by because everything seems so expensive at the moment. But one thing that I have noticed, and I'd be interested to get the, the France perspective on this from you, you, Pascal, is that yes, some prices are coming down, but quite a lot of these manufacturers are playing this tricky game where they actually reduce the size of things as well. So you might be pay, paying a smaller price, but they've also shrunk the packaging. So you're actually getting less for your money. And sometimes, sometimes, and I've noticed this especially with things like Twixes or bags of um, crisps, is that the price stays the same, but the packaging actually gets smaller. And I've noticed particularly recently that some of the um, chocolate bars and some of the crisp packets that we used to have are now significantly smaller. I, I even joked with um, Trisha the other day that what eventually we'll be buying individually wrapped crisps from um, some of these manufacturers. Is this happening in, in in France as well? Are you getting price reductions? Are there price wars in the equivalent supermarkets in France? And, and do they do this packaging reduction thing as well? So we don't have price reductions in France. Um, and what is interesting is, because I listen to both the French news and the, the UK news, is there is a strange thing happening right now in the media whereby supermarket chains are being accused of not paying a fair price for you know, what they're purchasing from the farming and agriculture sector and, and, the, and the food producers. Uh, so, so I think for, for us in France, the price was already on the high side 
um, the, the one way we used to kind of satisfy ourselves with Denise, my wife, was that, well, if you comp- if you do the exchange rate uh, game in your head, that bag of crisps is not that expensive after all. But actually, it was more expensive than than in the UK. So, so we don't have the price reduction. We are not yet getting the issue of shortage. And I think it's because, you know, we are getting the supply from the rest of yeah. EU countries in, in particular. And and more importantly, there's also a culture of buying at the market and buying from the local greengrocers as opposed to going to the supermarkets all of the time. So it's, it's fascinating to observe as someone that's com- going, coming back to, the, to, the, to France after 32 years in the UK. <laughs> yeah, I, d- I did read another article recently that did suggest that actually in the UK, we've had it so good when it comes to food prices for the last couple of decades that we've got used to really, really cheap food, whether that's mm. vegetables, whether it's meat, whatever it is, we've got used to really cheap food. And actually now as a combination of Brexit and different uh, different structures and, and obviously weather events we are now realizing that you know the time has come that food prices are going to increase so mm-hmm. you know may, maybe uh, you know there's a lot of spotlights on this is a big brexit event this is a big um, problem but maybe it is just an equalization of something i think that we so have taken i think for granted. it's so multifaceted um and it's not much fun you know no, no matter whether you know you're in france and so on at this moment in time and and I think where the brands are going to win is actually when they present themselves in a way that feels very honest and ethical. And I'm in two minds by the news about the co-op, you know, what, what they're doing, the best before dates and so on. So can you actually engage the audience in a way that is is honest, that is, you know, in, in tune with, with, with the, the current period of time and, and be part of, um, you know, the, the chosen network of, of allies at this moment in time? Yeah. Some fascinating news items mm. there, Pascal. And you know, I'm tempted to talk about Amazon wanting everybody to stay in the office now rather than working from home. And I do wonder, well, there's so many people who work for Amazon working in factories packing things up, so there's no way they can work from home. But we'll not go into that because we need to move on. Days after the UK government banned TikTok on work phones, the BBC has urged staff to delete the Chinese-owned social media platform from corporate devices over privacy and security fears. Diageo has launched a global campaign for rum brand Captain Morgan as it looks to make responsible drinking a social and cultural norm. Enjoy Slow features singer and rapper Bree Runway performing a slowed down version of 1990s classic Rhythm of the Night. I do like that song. John Lewis is exploring a potential move away from its 100% staff ownership model. In a bid to drive investment, the high street brand hopes to raise up to £2 billion by selling a minority stake in the business. Leaders at 3UK have admitted the business is unsustainable without mergers to Vodafone as it's spending more than it's earning. Well, Visit Britain and Visit England helped to boost visitor spend by £673 million between April 21 and June 22, thanks to dedicated marketing campaigns suggesting that international tourism is showing signs of continued strong recovery. Greg's ranks as the strongest brand in the restaurant sector globally, according to Brand Finance. Wow. Well, Jemison's new global campaign, Arrive Like a Local, in partnership with Irish Distillers, will be exclusive to Global Travel Retail and is launching at over 35 airports. And finally, the artificial intelligence company OpenAI has released GPT-4, its latest version of the AI system which powers ChatGTP. 
which made headlines when it was launched at the end of 2022. Now, Pascal, all of these news items are worthy of of a lot of discussion i actually had a lot of difficulty narrowing it down to three that i want to talk about i mean the john lewis thing is fascinating because the the staff ownership model is one thing that they are absolutely renowned for you know they they get so many plaudits from him you know from uh people who review styles of employment and styles of company structure for the way that they've uh, built their business but we'll 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 not dwell upon them today I did want to talk about TikTok because it's 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 a sort of marmite thing, isn't it? This TikTok, and obviously there's all this potential hoo-ha of all the security breaches potentially, and the fact that it's Chinese owned, and is there some sort of Chinese conspiracy to harvest all the data of the people that are using it, etc., uh, etc. Et I know that a lot of it has been banned from parts of the United States. I mean, I have to say, it doesn't seem to me stupid to say to government people, don't use TikTok on a work phone. I mean, when I was in big corporate, my work phone just had email and uh, the the sort of um, internal email system and uh, website on it. That was it. They wouldn't let us put anything on. So I can understand why a government work mobile probably shouldn't have TikTok, Twitter, LinkedIn, or anything on it just in case. But what do you think? Is this really a problem, or is it just some some conspiracy theory like any other conspiracy theory that we've heard over the last few years, some of which are utterly insane? Well, I mean, to your point, I'm pretty sure I posted on LinkedIn earlier this week about, because it was the, the, the news was more like, I was thinking, well, Looking back in my days in corporates, our IT policy was so stringent that would have never happened. You know, people putting yeah. social media or apps without, you know, getting checked by the IT department because of security. Because I mean, literally, the combination mobile phone and social media app is just a perfect combination for for crime to happen, from mm-hmm. stealing your data to taking over. And when you work in government and when you work in corporate, it is known that there is a, a way for your phone to listen in, even if it is turned off. Yeah. I remember my younger brother was working for quite a um, famous uh, fruit producer in France, and they were told to leave their phones um, at their desk if they went into a meeting room, and the meeting room had been actually uh, designed to cut the noise because they, they had evidence that the competition could listen in. Yeah. So you, you begin with just that, and then add on to that, obviously, a foreign power who is not particularly you know, well-known for their approach to privacy, to kind of, um, you know, everything else that would, would come with it. Uh, interestingly, at the time of recording, we're 24 hours um, after the CEO of TikTok having to address the US Senate and answering a, n- a number of questions. But what people are saying is because of the, the, the position is, it is already essentially breaching data, data privacy and security. The questioning was actually very imbalanced. There was no attempt to learn about what really happens at TikTok mm-hmm. and their link with the Chinese government. It was more, I have decided that you are essentially wrong, and let me therefore question you in a manner in which is going to confirm my current position. Mm-hmm. So it was very difficult for the general public to know by the end of the questioning whether or not TikTok is guilty of malpractice. It just knew that a bunch of people didn't like them very, very much. And then the defense from TikTok and I have some sympathy saying, well, why us and not YouTube or, or Facebook or Meta for that matter, who have misbehaved um, in the past? 
So people are saying, is this some form of um, uh, practitionerism? You know, do you protect the the interests of the US mm -hmm. by essentially with false uh, accusation? And the challenge, uh, Roger, is that we will never know because unless TikTok can reveal all, um, we'll never know. But on, on the basis that, uh, you know, from a, because my memory is the IT policy that I had as a young uh, kind of um, employee, they were so astringent. That would have been a conversation. You would, you, you would not have TikTok on your uh, business phone. Yeah, absolutely not. I mean, it does. I, I agree with you about the Senate thing. It, it does feel as if they're guilty until proven innocent, which is definitely not the way to do it. But then again, you know, maybe they should have been a bit more open, as indeed, as you say, should have um, Meta and the others should have been a bit more open about some of the stuff that was going on behind the scenes. Now, what do you think, Pascal, about Greg's ranking as the strongest brand in the restaurant sector. Now, I was actually quite flabbergasted when I read this because I had just assumed that it would be something like McDonald's or Burger King or one of the other big American, you know, food chains like um, Kentucky Fried Chicken or, or Wendy's or something like that. But good old-fashioned British Greggs. And yes. for any from, from anybody who's listening to the show who isn't from the UK, Greggs is pretty much on every single high street in the United Kingdom um, and and sometimes on each on every high street many many times and it's a, a sandwich shop but you can buy you can buy pies you can buy um, pasties you can buy all sorts of food and uh, it, it's the sort of place that people will go for to lunch if they are working in an office they'll go to Greg's but I'd never classed it in the category of you know a, a, a restaurant global brand i just thought it was a british thing but here we are greg's ranking as the biggest restaurant sector brand globally wow it's brilliant isn't it but actually you've got to recognize that they have worked very hard and very cleverly on their brand for many many years so for me that's the result of maybe decades but certainly the last 10 years if you think about the coup of being one of the catering brand for the 2012 Olympic Games to be present at airport, which is probably the link there as well. And what I like about Greg's is that they have essentially crafted the um, you know the sandwiches that they have a unique taste and they have a unique recipe. The bread is unique to theirs as well because everything is done obviously in house and and the range of pie, which is leaning into sometimes uh, regional regional culture and and preferences. So that, so so they know who they are. And they have claimed that that space, and they do an enormous amount of work with charities as well, breakfast clubs and the likes with, with schools, and and I think to me that's just what it takes, you know. That so essentially they've become a almost like an overnight sensation. It's taken them twenty years, if that makes any sense. Yeah, and they have some lovely little touches. And again, I recently I was reading an article on how Greg's works, and I didn't even know this, but when you actually learn about it, you realize it's absolutely beautiful. But they have this whole range of bakes and pies and everything. You can buy a steak bake, you can buy a chicken bake, there's a cheese, but cheese and onion bake, meat pie, whatever you want. And each of their pies has a different pattern actually on the right, that's on it, the, that's it. the pastry yeah, yeah. and a it it means that the staff can recognize because let's face it a pie looks like a pie doesn't it unless you know but the staff will know well, that's a steak bake because it's got that pattern that's a chicken bake because it's got that pattern but of course all the patterns look 
appealing and uh, draw people in as well. So absolutely gorgeous piece of um, sort of um, subliminal marketing going on there, which actually helps the staff be more efficient. I think I think it's fabulous. And, and finally, I I, I, I I did wonder whether to bring this one up, Pascal, but I, in the end, I just had to. Chat GTP, my goodness, now they've released a more up-to-date version that's even cleverer. And the world seems to have gone chat GTP crazy at the moment, or at least the marketing world has gone chat GTP crazy at the moment. Every single article I read about these days is somebody coming up with a course on how to use chat GTP oh, or God, here, yes. are, here are 5,000 prompts to make your use of chat GTP better. There are people who, let's face it, two years ago they were NFT experts, last year they were metaverse experts, and now they're chat GTP Marketing people, we're embarrassing ourselves here. Chat GTP will have its uses, but you're setting the scene here for mediocrity and all of these people who are ramming on about chat gtp you're talking yourself out of a job you're you're creating a scenario where potentially you know an agency con conversation might be imagine a corporate finds out that its agency is using chat gtp so well, why do we need the agency by all means we need to find a way of of harnessing maybe the mundane tasks that this can take over but for goodness sake it seems to me that we're wishing away our creative ability to to be human and to create human stuff and and passing it over to this machine don't get so excited about it you know let, let's just tone down the hype a bit am i overreacting no, and I'm going to keep my reply very short because of my selection for this week's <laughs> content spotlight. But but ultimately, um, it is tiresome for you and I to observe, you know, over the decades, our profession being essentially always summarized by a hack or a trick or a mm. shortcut or mm. a cheat, whether mm. it's been um, SEO, whether it's social media, email marketing, particularly the digital stuff. And and for me, you know, you would not dream of having this conversation for things like legal services or HR or finance. I mean, you can imagine someone says to you, I'll do your tax return, but that won't be me. I'll ask an AI to do that for you. I'm going to build a case to defend yourself against, basically, an injustice done to you. Um, I don't know what it is about marketing and sales in particular, whereby people literally, as you know, I've observed over time, oh, look, I've got PowerPoint on my computer, therefore I'm going to start to present well. And this kind of strange link between access to technology that can accelerate the, the appearance of an output equal um, skills and intelligence. And, and I think um, through your point, and I've been talking about this and with others, by the way, um, about this idea of when you are part of the silent majority are you also part of the problem and do we need to be a bit more robust and be more vocal and warning people because one thing that is very tiresome as well is the targeting of adverts so because you now do things like the show notes for two gigs i'm out in podcasts now my my feed on instagram in particular and and facebook is full of um idiots who are just moving their hands around pointing if it's part of the screen to at least the top 10 ai solutions now put it this way I've gone ahead with the benefit of the doubt. So, okay, well, maybe maybe there's something else. I've, I've gone ahead and I've tested someone's 10 recommended AI uh, platforms, and they were all rubbish. I mean, <laughs> to the point where 
it was not usable in the business context. It was maybe amusing in the social context, but not usable. And I've discovered little by little that those individuals, the one that you are mentioning here today, they don't even use the AI platform that, that they talk about. So yeah, you're right. We need to start to a, be the voice of reason, warn people, but just say, and, and by the way, can I just also mention for, for you and I, the challenge is that we've been mentioning AI powered solutions for uh, at least in, since 2016, when Google did the demonstration of, of Google AI during Google um, IO, more acronyms there. So it's also very hard for you now to be excited because we've known about it for seven years now. Yeah. And I mean, let's face it, let's face it. We very rarely hear about NFTs anymore. <laughs> and those people who were NFTs experts two years ago, they went on to the metaverse. Let's face it, we very rarely hear about the metaverse anymore. And it seems that Facebook have realized what a complete arse they've made of that. And they've moved on. So I'm hoping that give it another six months to a year. And all these idiots that have jumped onto the chat GTP bandwagon will also have moved on to whatever the next thing will come around. One thing I would just want to finish this section off in Please, everybody, if somebody comes along and tells you that they're an expert in something, check it out. You know, Pascal and I, without wanting to blow our own trumpets, and I don't think we'd blow our own trumpets enough to be perfectly honest, Pascal, but we've been doing marketing for over 25 years. It takes a long time to become expert in something. ChatGTP launched towards the back end of 2022. We're only in the third month of 2023. It is not possible for somebody to be an expert in something that's only been around for a couple of months. It's lunacy to think that they can be experts in that sort of thing. And if they aren't experts, then there's got to be something going on and they're probably trying to take advantage. So be wary of people who call themselves experts. Check out to find out whether they really are. And we begin with Twitter, who is accused of false advertising. Despite removing verification for hundreds and thousands of accounts last week, Twitter has backtracked and reinstated its blue tick for some users. Bud Light's marketing boss takes leave of absence following the backlash that their marketing created by using the TikTok star Dylan Mulvaney to mark her one-year anniversary of publicly identifying as transgender. Dame Judi Dench has returned for Money Supermarket's latest campaign, which sees the seven money-saving expert entrusted with helping seven different people across seven different cities save serious money. The latest GFK consumer confidence barometer shows consumer confidence has risen for the third month running, but without concrete good news on the wider economy, the UK is still a long way from, from emerging from this protracted period of collective gloomy sentiment. Mm, well, the co-op is following the example of supermarket rival Sainsbury's and Tesco's by offering price discounts to loyalty scheme members. A refund of two pounds per pound spent can be earned and paid into a digital wallet account. Pets at Home has relaunched its brand identity with a new creative platform which looks to unite all the different elements of the businesses, which also include vets for pets and pets grooming. UK sandwich shop Pret-a-Manger will soon open its first store in India. According to Pret's CEO, Pano Cristo, the shop's frontage and interior will be a recreation of its UK shops, but the food will be adapted to local preferences and habits. 
And finally, BrewDog has brought back its infamous gold can competition, which originally led to complaints last year when solid gold cans turned out to be gold-plated. It says it has checked the small print this time. I actually quite like that. Um, we've, we've talked about BrewDog a few times on the show before, haven't we, Pascal? And they always do things a little bit quirky. Actually, admittedly, sometimes they upset the apple cart a bit, don't they? They upset a few mm. people um, and they have been criticised because of their association with um, the World Cup in Qatar. But I quite like this because, yes, they did create a little bit of um, annoyance last year when they claimed, not that anybody should have really believed them, I guess, that they had solid gold beer cans, which actually just turned out to be gold-plated ones. And it was a bit of a Charlie and the Chocolate Factory vibe, I think. But I like the way that they've almost admitted that mistake by saying this year that they are gold-plated because we've gone away and we've checked the small print. Mm. Yeah, they do that, but but also, and maybe that's just what happens, you know, with communication. When I first came across the the expression "solid gold," I didn't take it literally myself. Mm. I thought it was the expression about being genuine about uh, yeah. about, yeah, about yeah. quality and so on, because it, that's the expression. You know, I mean, much younger people than you and I would say that solid, like you know, and then that means that it's obviously a high quality or uh, care and attention has been spent on it. But yeah, they, they do that. But, but, but maybe that's also part of the territory of when you do many, many campaigns and you, you, you are in that spirit of experimentation, if I may use the pun, you're not going to hit gold every single time. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely right. Now, let's just go back to the first news item, Pascal, we talked about, which was Twitter. And yep. this whole business around this blue tick, honestly, I, I mean, just just for anybody that doesn't know, if you have a blue tick on Twitter pre prior to Elon Musk taking over, the, the blue tick was almost verification that you were who you were. And blue ticks were usually given to people like journalists or famous celebrities or well-known speakers. So people like Deborah Meaden um, would have a blue tick. Somebody like the President of the United States would have a blue tick, etc., etc. And one of the things that Musk's done is he's decided to take the blue tick away from everybody. And if you want to have a blue tick, you've got to buy this Twitter blue, which is about $11 a month or $8 a month, depending upon whether you sign up on desktop or on mobile. And everybody's losing their cookies over this. So on the, on the one hand, you've got all the people who did have blue ticks before getting really annoyed that they're losing their blue ticks and then twitter have sort of backtracked a bit because elon musk has said well i'll tell you what i'll buy twitter blue for these people who are annoyed so some of them have got their blue ticks back but it doesn't say verified by twitter it still says that they're subscribed to twitter blue so it's basically musk is paying for it and then you've got a load of these other celebrities that have been saying anybody who has a blue tick now i'm going to unfollow because if you have a blue tick that means you're supporting musk by paying into twitter so it just seems to me that twitter is descending further and further into the gutter what do you think it, it just feels like there's been no thinking about this because all you have to do is get a few bright people there must be some left at twitter you know not, not just in musk and do some scenario planning yeah. and kind of go well what, what is likely uh, reactions from good bad and, and ugly and and more importantly your point about the the origin of the blue tick was essentially because of copycat accounts so someone who was obviously a, a real brand you know personal brand or indeed a organizational brand would go back to twitter and say no nah, no nah, this is not me somebody's pretending to be me 
and either sharing false information or whatever. So they say, well, we're going to do that to solve this problem. There can only be one Roger Edwards. So your account will be um, you know, verified through a process of, and you're going to get a blue tick so that the, the copycats um, will be essentially uh, found out. So now you're in a position where you can have a blue tick by paying your $8 or $11 a month. And what's happened is people have done that. So when the brands have had their blue tick removed, then the lies and the cheaters went, went back on Twitter with fake accounts. The whole thing's a mess. Absolutely. Absolutely right. I mean, I've, I've long since thought, wouldn't it be easy just to solve this by saying, if you want to have a Twitter account, you've got to upload some piece of identification that proves who mm -hmm. you are. And therefore, everybody gets verified, and that's the end of it. And that would solve a lot of problem with these copycat accounts. But, of course, we know that people like to have anonymous accounts on things like Twitter, possibly because they like they want to troll people, possibly because they want to be um, you know, a bit aggressive, whatever it might be. And... and to a certain extent, maybe Twitter and the social media platforms has pandered to that anonymity. But mm. it seems to me there's an easy way to fix this, but I don't know whether I would pay for it. Not at the moment. <laughs> no, no, and, and you're right, the, the backlash around, oh, you're one of those who've paid for, for the blue tick, and suddenly your own kind of um, you know credibility uh, has been empered by that. It, it, it's just very, very difficult. But ultimately, I'm sorry to say, Roger, it's down to lack of thinking from the outset, and that's unforgivable. Yeah, I think uh, we we go on about strategy a lot on the marketing <laughs> uh, on the uh, two geeks in the marketing podcast, and this is a clear lack of strategy. It's, it, they're just making it up as they go along. It's almost as if every day is a new day, and every day they just wing it, and it's not good enough. Mm. So the other one I wanted to just um, get your opinion on was this whole idea of uh, co-op joining other supermarkets like Sainsbury's and Tesco and offering price discounts to loyalty scheme members. Now, again, there's been a bit of a backlash in the UK media about this, saying that it's unfair. I don't have a problem with it. You know, we've got loyalty scheme with Tesco. We don't shop in um, Sainsbury's often enough to have one. Um, and every year, Trisha gains enough of these vouchers to get a significant discount off our Christmas shopping. And that's what you get for being part of a loyalty scheme. Is it any different than joining the executive club of British Airways and, and getting uh, discounts on flights? Uh, I have to say, I don't get particularly uh, excited about two p per pound. It doesn't <laughs> feel to me as if that's going to that's going to um, help me much in the current um, economic climate. But uh, what do you think? Is it is it it's, it's okay, isn't it? It's absolutely fine. Yeah. Um, what, what I will say is if you really want to compete, um, it would be down to the messaging, down to you know the execution. I know that there's been recently some uh, kerfuffle, I think, between Lidl and one of the others. Forgive me, memory is failing me. It may have been Tesco's or Sainsbury's, whereby um, some of the messaging felt you know very, very much like a, a, a copy, um, very much like the Caterpillar scenario. <laughs> so, so for me, I'm almost unimpressed by the lack of novelty of about it, most like well, you know, let's follow the the trend. Um, that there has to be supplementary ways for your um, loyalty scheme members to feel like the loyalty is being re rewarded. So the two p to a pound is is one. Uh, I think there has to be other things that I'm sure the customer service and marketing team can can kind of come up with. 
And we begin with news that the grocery inflation has fallen to 16.5% in a four weeks to 11 June 2023. Despite this being the lowest inflation this year so far, it is still the sixth highest monthly rate of inflation recorded since 2008. A survey of 3,000 adults from IPA touchpoints across the UK shows consumers are taking it upon themselves to ease the effects of inflation, with more than 60% of customers now actively looking for the lowest price when shopping. And the average time spent on social media platforms now stands at two hours and one minute per day for European users. That's a drop of four minutes, Roger, compared to the same period last year. Kraft Heinz Chief Growth Officer Diana Frost says tech should be viewed as an enabler and that marketing's core focus must always be the consumer. Never forget humanity. If we don't have humans and consumers at the centre of everything we do, then we've lost. Here, here. Well, Lidl has won a court injunction to stop Tesco using the club card logo. This could cost Tesco eight million pounds to remove its club card prices, marketing assets. This is their second loss against Lidl at the High Court in their long-standing trademark dispute. According to research from Bayes Business School, the University of Missouri and the University of Arizona, it turns out that the most liked brand slogans are often the least memorable, and the most memorable are the least liked. Okay, well, Idris Elba has teamed up with Mark Boyan, Miroma Group founder and chief executive, to launch Sillyface, a global market and content business with the first three offices in London, New York and Los Angeles. And Netflix UK has partnered Out and Out London to host an immersive maze based on the fantasy series The Witcher. Once visitors find their way out, they will be able to digitally capture their achievements at The Witcher Bathhouse. Mm -hmm. Now, I wanted to just go back and talk about that research from the Bayes Business School about the most liked brand slogans are often the least memorable and the most memorable are often the least liked and the reason i wanted to just go over that is i was on a train coming back from london yesterday pascal and you you've traveled on trains in the uk as frequently as as i do and they have this slogan which they use to get people to be aware to look out for bags that might have been misplaced or or maybe even look a bit s suspicious and the slogan is see it say it sorted and i remember reading an article um that that is one of the most hated <laughs> brand strap lines or slogans that a brand has ever come up with however i did bump into by complete accident the guy from the agency who actually came up with see it say it sorted and they said yes it is hated by everybody but do you know what it absolutely works because everybody remembers it so it almost backs up what this um, Bayes business school thing is saying yeah and it's fascinating because when you reflect on it you know we will have it and sometimes it even sounds are memorable but irritating or annoying and i know that in marketing i am a huge fan roger of the rule of three and the alliteration as many of my trainees will will uh, will attest and and i kind of understand it it's it's literally because of its kind of forced creation of finding the three words or, or the, the three um, tonality around the consonants and the vowels, it has a, an element of surely there's something better, smarter, yeah. or uh, to say, and and there is a version, but that version, of course, is nowhere near as memorable. And 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 for marketers and communicators, people working customer service, is that constant tension. I recently helped a French company prepare for a trade show in London. 
And this would be a new uh, undertaking for them to actually uh, sell their products to the UK markets and bringing this element of culture for confusion viewers and listeners. I spent most of my life in the UK. I've gone native, hence why <laughs> I'm able to, to kind of give that service. And we came up with this track line. Well, uh, forgive me. I came up with this track line. I presented it to them and they absolutely hated it. Uh, I think both in English and, uh, and in French. We, we went through the table. Eventually, it was actually the marketing lady said, but I can see why this would work. Uh, and then eventually, they warmed to it and they're still discussing it, whether or not they're going to use it as part of this track line to be on the stand um, in, in, in London. So uh, I have first an experience with this idea of, you know, where can we capture someone's attention? But also, yeah, the, the way in which the, the, um, the phrase is finally kind of constructed could be a source of uh, annoyance and yet people remember it. Yeah, I know it's fascinating, isn't it? In fact, I almost chose that piece to be my content spotlight this week because I felt it was I so bet. interesting. Mm. Let's talk about inflation because <laughs> certainly in the UK, inflation is staggeringly high and prices are going up all the time. On top of that, we've also got this awful mortgage time bomb where because interest rates are going up now and people are coming to the end of their fixed rates when their rates change to the next fixed term, it could be significantly higher and people are struggling. And I thought the first two news items about how inflation may have fallen slightly, it's still the highest recorded since 2008. And of course, this other um, survey suggesting that people are genuinely now actively trying to find the lowest price. And and I find I'm doing that myself, Pascal. Um, you know, on a Saturday morning, it's well known that after I teach my balance class, I always go down to the harbour at Fishero and have myself a coffee. And earlier this year, um, I noticed that the coffee in, in the um, place where I buy it from, the cost of coffee, had gone up by 15 pence. And I just thought, you know, you're going to have to stop buying coffee at this place and bring your own on a Saturday because, you know, it's um, £2.95. Anyway, last week, I forgot. I just woke up in the, in the morning. I was a bit bleary-eyed. I forgot to make my own coffee and take it down. And I found it had gone up again to £3.20. Wow. So within the space of six months, that's um, 35, 35p added to the cost of a coffee from the place that I go to on a Saturday. And that's happening everywhere. And of course, people are starting to do what I do, take your own coffee or look for the cheaper alternative. And marketers have got to build this into their plans. And we all know that price is one of the very important aspects of the marketing mix. So, you know, you everybody's really going to have to look very carefully at the prices that they charge. We don't want, we none of us want to cut the prices that we charge, but that's what people are looking for at the moment. They are, and there's so many evidence of that. I mean, we mentioned um, in the news the little Tesco kerfuffle. Um, mm. I heard on the radio, actually, a bit of uh, the history of Lidl and Aldi, you know, mm. the, 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 the two brands, and how they were ridiculed by the very brands who are not copying in a kind of low-price uh, high quality um, kind of formula, um, which I think has been interesting. But um, in the history of, of Lidl, and then I come back to what you just mentioned, the, the the breakthrough in terms of becoming even more popular than they are, strangely, was in the quality of the lighting used mm. in their premises. So mm. when they first started, it was kind of uh, one of those where literally you had cardboard boxes opened up on the floor and people would help themselves to, you know, that, that kind of simple uh, food uh, and, and drinks. So then they introduced the shelves, but 
where they managed to, to attract the um, um, higher spenders is by literally improving the light condition inside the store because yeah. uh, at the time it was being very, very dim. But going back to what you just said, um, the car companies are now, which is really, really um, a telling for me, they're now promoting um, reconditioned and repaired secondhand cars mm -hmm. as part of their main offers. We've got all, all sort of examples. And I think for me, with regard to the UK and Western Europe, the telltale sign, as we are recording this uh, at the start of uh, the summer months, roughly, Roger, is going to be the results of the, the traveling and the revenue from that industry. Because between that, um, home buying and car buying, they're usually the three indicators of the mood of the consumers out there. Absolutely, absolutely. And finally, Pascal, what did you make of this news item about the average time that people spend on social media platforms? Now, it actually went down. I mean, okay, four minutes is the average it's gone down by, but it has gone down. And I just wonder whether this backs up some of the stuff that we've been talking about, you know, about how Twitter has become a lot more toxic, um, how people just get frustrated by the algorithms on platforms like LinkedIn. Maybe that's been balanced out by the increased popularity of TikTok and Instagram stories, but I'm very surprised that it's gone down a bit. Yeah. And um, again, that could have been uh, a content spotlight because you could dip dive, dip dive sorry, into the, the research. Mm. So it all depends on the definition of social media platforms because Ofcom, however, we would say we spend more time online yeah. consuming video content. So if you exclude YouTube from that research, which I suspect they have, then I would say, yeah, there's a combination of, um, you know, novelty factor is completely gone. Um, I mean, in some cases, we are celebrating maybe 20 years or 15 years of a particular platform, which is a long time. And we can see from the, um, the, the degree of um, like, comment, and share, which are now almost non-existent on social media, that the, the content consumers are just consuming the content, getting on with their day. But in terms of accessing uh, news items, uh, tutorials, and the likes uh, as video format, it's still going very, very strong. So it may well be that that's what's happening, mm. is that people are, are still online. Of course, they have mobile phones, laptop, tablets, and more, but they've migrated towards... Um, what would be deemed to be actually probably long-form content, and maybe they want to inform themselves better. Um, for social media marketers and for you know those who are using social media as an element of the strategy is something we need to pay attention to because, therefore, the time budget is reduced even further. And how do we become someone's favorite in yes. a very noisy, messy social media world? Yeah, it does, certainly still does seem to be very noisy and very messy. <laughs> wow, Pascal, uh, we could we could talk about some of the other items that we have there. The Idris Elba one is, is quite interesting, but I think we need to move on. Yeah.